Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23 read, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Hello and welcome back to Think This Way. I am Pastor Bryce and I have with me Mike Schaus, who is a man who wears many hats, including leading our worship every Sunday, which we're grateful for, but also is an excellent Excellent podcaster. Thank you for being here with us, Mike. You're welcome, Bryce. And I'm going to say, I don't wear a lot of hats because I'm covering a bald spot. I just like hats. <laughs> just, just for the sake of serving, which matters even more. Well, we are talking about personal holiness this quarter, just our own growth in holiness. And last week, we defined what personal holiness is. Ooh. But we're actually going to continue defining personal holiness this week and next week. And so last week was kind of the positive side of things. What does it mean, personal holiness? What was the definition you came up with? I mean, the basic definition of holiness is set apart from sin to God. Mm. That's how I understand holiness. Is there something about, like, isn't there a root in holiness about otherness? Yeah, that's the set apart piece of it. Because God is set apart from sin. He's other. He's other than creatures, and he's other than sin. We can't be other than creatures, because we are creatures, mm -hmm. but we can be other than sin. So set apart from sin, but also he's set apart to his own glory. Mm. And that is something we share with him. He's focused on himself, his glory, and we are holy not just because we put off sin, but we're put off sin so that we can be dedicated to God and his glory. Mm, I gotcha. Yeah. So his holiness is such that... I think of like whenever he touches something, it becomes yeah. consecrated. Yeah, yeah. Like that burning bush. I'm talking uh -huh. about Moses, take off your shoes. Yeah. So is it because God had consecrated that ground? Because what makes ground holy? You know what I mean? I do think it is God's presence. And that's why, again, that definition of being set apart from sin to God. And that's why the closer you get to God, mm -hmm. the holier things are. All the way to the holiest place, which is where God dwells or manifests himself. Which is what causes us then? like the ordinary to become extraordinary because we yeah. have that, you know, we've been touched by God, so to say. And so, because his Holy Spirit dwells in us. So you're a oh, temple yeah. and the Spirit is in you. Yeah. So you're we really dwelling. become the temple. Yeah, that's right. Man, these are good thoughts. I should have had you. I just wrote the notes for be holy because I'm holy. And we're going to talk about that. Oh, okay. I think it might be with Bob Walther. Oh, it's a good one. If I can convince him to do it. Oh, yeah. All that to say, we are spending altogether three weeks on just the definition of holiness. So positively last week, what it is. This week, I want to focus on what holiness is not. Oh, I see why you invited me here. Okay. Because <laughs> this is everything you're okay. not. That's right. Because you are holy. No. No, no. I would agree with the first assessment of that one. No, because Mike, you are not, you don't have the wool pulled over your eyes. That's why you're here. <laughs> Because there are ways that people can try to measure holiness that's just not a biblical way to measure holiness. And that's what we're talking Amen. about today. I've got two categories of things that we are tempted to consider holy in someone mm. that is not 
necessarily holiness. So here is the first one. The second one might be more common, but let's start with this first one. First of all, what holiness is not? Holiness is not simply an easygoing, emotionally healthy temperament in a person. And actually, while I was writing the notes for this podcast, I was at a local coffee shop, and a friend of mine who's a barista there, young lady who loves the Lord very much, we were having a conversation right after I finished these, I think, or maybe right before. And she was explaining how her parents are not believers. But it confuses her because her parents have a great marriage. They're very happy but not believers. And she said that's something that confuses her because for herself, she found so much joy when she came to Christ, Mm. so much freedom, so much joy. But her parents look that way just in how they behave with a good marriage. So what is that about? They're not believers, so they don't have this personal holiness. I think it's important then that we separate out. People can have an easygoing temperament, and that can include lead to even relatively happy marriages, happy relationships, easy to talk to, not too worried, not too anxious, for reasons other than personal holiness. Mm. And a lot of times those reasons are more like had a good upbringing, maybe didn't experience a lot of traumatic events at an early age, or yeah, just had an easier upbringing, easier experiences, or even it could be other reasons. People are just wired or just common grace. So you will find people who are easygoing, who you may be a Christian going through deep trials and it's agonizing, you're fighting it, and you look over at your lost neighbor and they're just loving life, (laughs) you know, and they're nice. And you think they look more holy than I do. So we don't want to confuse an easygoing temperament with holiness. 1 Corinthians 1 actually explains a little of this to us. Because Paul says, starting in verse 26, in a very offensive manner, I might add, Mm. consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Then he goes on to say, God chose the foolish, weak, low, despised, nothings. So if you look at believers and try to judge their holiness based on easygoing temperament, easy to talk to, emotionally healthy, God actually specifically chose the people not like that. (laughs) Some are, some are, but he says not many. Yeah. So if you look at believers, you should find people who are fairly messed up in that God chose that, just in terms of temperament and so forth. So I wanted to ask you, Mike, in light of all this, why do you think it's important for us not to confuse a naturally easygoing temperament with true holiness? If we do that, what are some of the problems that might follow? It's funny, when you were describing her parents, it reminds me of a buddy of mine. His name's Bob, and he's like one of the most easiest going, nicest guys you'll ever meet. So laid back. But it's because he smokes pot all day long. Not exactly holiness, yeah. yeah. No, 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 the complete opposite. Like doesn't achieve anything, but he's super nice and laid back and a great guy. Compare that to, you know, I just think about holiness, the holiness of God. That's what you're trying to pursue. And... um I guess the best example, one that always comes to my mind when I think of holiness, is I think of Isaiah, and I can't remember the chapter where he he sees God in the throne and the robes flowing, right? Mm -hmm. And the first thing he says, you know, Isaiah, prophet of God, he's this prophet. And the first thing he says when he sees God, he says, I'm undone. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, right? And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. 
And I thought that was really interesting because since he's a prophet, he's like the mouthpiece of God. He speaks for God. It's the one thing probably in his life that he felt like he was doing good for God. But when he sees God, he realizes, oh, I was so bad at that, 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 that he has to be cleansed. And God takes this, uh, or has like a serum, I think. Like some seraphim, crazy. yeah. Seraphim, there you go. Yeah. Takes a tong from the uh, altar and puts it to his lips and, and cleanses his lips with this burning coal, right? And it's crazy. And I just think of like Luther that says, you know, believer's life is, is one of continual repentance. So why is not a laid back person, not person, in some way you think of as holies because they're not somebody that is struggling with the internal sin that we all have. They've come to embrace it and accept it and not really worry about it. Whereas if you're pursuing holiness, you're trying to eradicate those things, really the inward things. We kind of think of you know, uh, outward things as being these sins, but we know as you grow and develop, it's those inner turmoils. That's what causes you, you know what I mean, to really have the struggles. It's a good point because even bring up that we're not arguing that people should be emotionally unhealthy here. Yeah. But there is a reality to being a believer. You are experiencing conflict with sin and with flesh. As an unbeliever, you're at peace with those. So unbelievers can still have all kinds of inner turmoil and do, all kinds. But there's a sense in which it's part of the definition of being a believer. Mm -hmm. The spirit dwells inside you. Now you're fighting the flesh. And so there will be some inner trouble. Again, temperaments differ so much. So if someone is a believer, you're listening to this, and you're pretty easygoing, Good, good. Stay that way. (laughs) We need you. (laughs) Those of us who aren't need you. You know. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but the point you're making is that at the same time, if you look just at Jesus' life, he was probably not as easygoing as Bob, your friend. Yeah. Right. Because he did have. He wept. He had the Garden of Gethsemane. He had turmoil. He had Flipped struggles. Flipped over tables at times. I mean, Flipped over tables. Man of sorrow. Called out religious people left and right. So there was some turmoil going on there, even if you can call it that. Yeah. So we don't want to confuse holiness with just a convenient, easygoing temperament. Especially, I think this especially because we have a lot of movies and TV shows. And when you watch those, they kind of shape how you think human interaction should go. But it's scripted, and so most of our human interactions just cannot live up to mm-hmm. any of those. Inter- it's all scripted. They know what to say, and so it goes so smoothly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think, like, that's the ideal, but that's not exactly real life. So we don't want to confuse holiness with an easy temperament, easy to talk to. Here's a second one that I think is maybe more prominent. Holiness is not cultural prohibitions cultural prohibitions in other words things that for more cultural reasons are taboo we don't do those things so i'll give you an example rc sproul one time when he was interviewing to be a professor at a it might have been gordon college i forget it was a more fundamentalist place And he was interviewing to be a professor there. He sits down. The receptionist is there. He's waiting for the interview. The receptionist says to Sproul, you smell like you've been around somebody who's been smoking. (laughs) This is back in the, I don't know, 80s, 70s. And Sproul says, well, I have. It's me. And this receptionist truly says to Sproul, well, you just can't tell who's really a Christian and who's not by looking at him anymore. Oh, man. (laughs) Ouch. Sproul said, I can't actually help you with that. I am a theologian. 
Christians are people who love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but there you have a cultural prohibition. Whether it's wise or not, it's wise, you know. We know that now with the effects of cigarettes, but it's a, ultimately it's a cultural prohibition that Jesus never did directly talk about, smoking, and that is a mark of holiness. So I was thinking about that in relation to our own church in context here, Mike, and I wanted to ask you, what are some of the cultural prohibitions that we would be tempted to equate with holiness where we are? Hmm. So I am. Are you saying that we should get rid of the ashtrays and the pews? <laughs> but you don't have pews or ashtrays. Probably. Probably should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That was like the big one I was, when I was like, this is 80, you know, like 90, 90s, like early 90s when I first got saved. And yeah, I was like smoking and drinking, you know, you can't do either of those. And it was, and as I grew up and started reading about theologians and, and studying them, I was like, man, all my favorite theologians all either smoke or drink or both. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. But I think really, uh, so I had lunch today with a good friend of ours, Michael Hobson, and we were talking about this this very thing, and we were talking about reform circles, how it's like, you know, if you don't, you, I don't think it's so bad anymore, maybe in some circles it is, but it used to be if you don't homeschool, right, oh my goodness, or if you don't use the MacArthur Study Bible, it's like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? And it was it was crazy, you know, and I, and I think, okay, well, I'm a public school teacher, and I use the English Standard Version on my phone, you know, it's like, I don't do either one of those things, so it was like, oh, that's bad. Um, but now, I don't know, I mean, I, that is true, and I do think that that is like at Reform Circles, it is an issue. But I was thinking more, um, you know, cultural prohibitions. To me, I don't, maybe I'm off the wrong track here, but I was thinking of, like, forgiveness. And what I was thinking about was that it seems to be that, like, now people in our circles, like, the, the big thing is so quick to, like, cut somebody out. Like, oh, you don't listen to that person anymore because of this. Or you can't read that author anymore because of that, right? And you get so limited in your circle. And I think about, you know, they don't understand, like, you miss the whole part of forgiveness. Remember that, what's that parable of Jesus? Remember the guy, and he's he has this massive debt, and the guy forgives him. And then he goes out and demands that this guy pays him this little bitty fund that he owes him, right? And it's like, you're forgiven, you forget the whole point of forgiveness. We've been forgiven this great debt but yet, you know, we, we constantly want to judge and like cancel these people out, <laughs> all these all these great, great teachers and pastors. And it's just, it's really sad, but it is a thing. And that seems, especially in the last few years, has connected with the idea of political emphasis. Oh, for sure. Like if you're far left or far right, like those far left and far right, like they've got it all figured out. And the other person, there's no, like you can't embrace anything about them. It's completely wrong. Yeah. And so it almost becomes a... One of those things where someone who equates holiness with certain political emphases, which happens, you know, mm -hmm. let's let's say conservative political emphases, which I'm conservative, so I'd hold these, you know, no problem there. But let's say they equate holiness with that. Mm. You could end up having more common ground with your conservative neighbor who's not a believer than with someone in your church who's regenerated by the Holy Spirit who doesn't share those political emphases. Mm -hmm. You end up having more fellowship. You could go over to your conservative neighbor and have conversations about many areas of life and go like, yeah, you get him, you know, feel a real camaraderie and then go into your church and find someone. And I'm not talking someone who's holding the heresies, 
but somebody whose political uh, instincts are different and you just feel uncomfortable with them and mm-hmm. feel like we don't have anything to talk about and you just kind of avoid them. Yeah. And that's a cultural prohibition thing because now your unbelieving neighbor is more holy to you in your estimation in yeah, a sense. you think they've got it all figured out. Uh, yeah. And that's why we want to avoid cultural items, cultural prohibitions, cultural items at equating that with holiness and maybe an easy question you can always ask if you're thinking am i doing that is if you were not a believer so it's you same you living in the same house same context you know same whatever socioeconomic everything but you're not a believer what are the things you definitely would still be passionate about mm. Those things are not holiness. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. they can be right. They can be true. They can be wise. They can be good. They could have some connection to holiness. But an unbeliever is not interested in, in essential holiness. So we want to make sure that we reserve the idea of personal holiness for not cultural matters, but for things the Bible speaks clearly on. So someone listening to this might previously have been in that very situation where they're watching. It could be they're watching clips from politics, uh, from unbelievers in politics, but who align with them. And if other people aren't excited about those clips, they wonder, are you holy? Because <laughs> you don't agree politically with this. Someone else could look at someone with a tattoo and think, I don't know, that person can be holy. Someone else, again, could, like our barista friend, be looking at her parents. You could be looking at your parents or friends who are unbelievers and go man they are they holier than me because they're just easy going and i'm all tore up here you may have thought any of those ways in the past but may god help us all now to think this way Mm -hmm.